Saints, we are in week four of a series we have been eagerly awaiting for years and years and years, I think since the dawn of time. And uh, we were talking about the things that Jesus said that got him in a lot of trouble. This series is called Jesus Said What? what? There you go. Jesus Said What? All right. So these are some of the things that, uh, that he said. First was hello. We talked about this four weeks ago. He said hello to the wrong people. He said hello to people of different races and different beliefs and, and different cultures and people who were outcasts, and that created a huge scandal. Then he said, God serves you. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. God serves you. Like, you're kidding me, right? God's, God's this transcendent holy being that we lowly creatures are to serve, and Jesus says, no, listen, God serves you. God is here for your benefit. It's crazy, right? Last week, we talked about Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. I mean, this amazing concept that, that this person, Jesus Christ, has the authority to forgive sin. And they said, well, only God can forgive sin. And all these things that he said, they wanted to put him to death because he just was breaking all the rules. He was breaking all the religious rules. And when he said, your sins are forgiven, it wasn't that they did all the right things. He just said, you're forgiven. They didn't confess. They didn't repent. They didn't turn their lives around. They didn't do better. He just said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, right? It's a free gift just given by God. This was scandalous. All of this was scandalous. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus saying, destroy this temple. Jesus said, what? You failed. Jesus said, what? Good, good, good. Destroy this temple. The temple was considered almost to be equal to God himself, and Jesus says, destroy this thing. He got in so much trouble, this was probably the nail in the coffin. This is probably the thing he said. Of all the scandalous and offensive things he said to these religious leaders, this was about the most offensive. Destroy this temple. When they arrested him, just hours before they put him to death, they said, Jesus, you have to answer for this sentence. This comment, destroy the temple, what are you talking about? The high priest stood up and asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? And he stood there silently because he said what he said, and he meant what he meant. And this comment likely put him to death. He didn't have to answer for his comment. He didn't have to defend himself. These words were offensive, and he knew it. Because what he was trying to do was free people from this religious oppression. He spent his entire ministry freeing people from religious oppression. Now, in order for us to understand why destroying the temple was so offensive, we have to go back in time to the creation of the, the nation of Israel. So let's go back 3,470 years to the moment where the 12 tribes of Israel were freed from slavery in Egypt. You might know the story. They were in slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. God set them free. So there's roughly a half a million people from the 12 tribes of Israel wandering around the desert in the Sinai Peninsula, that little triangle of desert in between Egypt and modern-day Israel. They're wandering around, absolutely aimless. They had been slaves for 400 years, so they had no national identity. They had no national homeland. They had no land at all. They had no city no capital city, no government, nothing held them together as a people. They're just out there in the wilderness, wandering around aimlessly. So God gives them two gifts, and you can read all of this in the Old Testament, second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. God gives them two gifts. The first gift is law and order, law and order. So just imagine half a million people, it doesn't matter what part of the world 
you come from, half a million people wandering around, there's gonna be trouble. There's a scarcity of food, a scarcity of water, a scarcity of resources, and what are you gonna start doing? What are these 12 tribes gonna start doing? They're gonna start eating each other alive, right? That's just human nature. And so he, he says, here's a system of law and order. Starts with the 10 commandments, Exodus chapter 20. There's 613 supporting commandments. He basically says, this is your law and order, guys. This is gonna keep you civil. The second gift he gave the people of Israel wandering in the desert was the tabernacle, the tabernacle. Consider the tabernacle kind of like a, a mobile temple. It's pretty rudimentary. It's a tent. It's basically a tent with fabric walls, a couple of pieces of furniture, uh, a sacrificial system, a priesthood. This was a tabernacle. So while law and order kept them civil, it was the tabernacle that kept them centered. This was their national identity. We, as the 12 tribes of Israel, worship our God, Yahweh. That's the center of our culture. And we worship here. So as we're wandering around in various encampments, we're gonna put all of our tents around the center, which is the tabernacle. So this will figuratively center us by identifying us as a nation, but it will also be the literal center of our encampments, and we will all together focus on the same thing. The same God, Yahweh, the same ceremonies, the same priesthood, the same rites, the same rituals. This will center our brand new nation. So what is a tabernacle? This mobile tent, this mobile uh, temple that will symbolize so much to these people. It will symbolize their identity as a people. This tabernacle would symbolize their God. Even though their God is spirit, this would be the physical sort of representation of God. It would be the symbol of God's presence, that God is with them. It's the symbol of God's power. And we see in Exodus these, you know, the smoke by day and, and fire by night, the symbol of God's power. And the symbol of God's plan. God had a plan for the nation of Israel. And them wandering around in the desert was not his plan. Them being without a nation was not his plan. Them being without cities and structures was not his plans. He had, he had big plans for the nation of Israel and this was not it. So the temple was kind of a foreshadowing of God saying, listen, one day you will have a nation. One day you will have territory. One day you will have a capital city and one day you will have a temple. This is just a temporary representation of the temple that you will one day have. And this is a rendering of Solomon's temple. 480 years after they were freed from Egypt, they finally had their temple. 480 years, took a while. And King Solomon built it with all of his opulent wealth. King Solomon finally built their temple. And then in 2 Chronicles 6, 19, King Solomon commissions this temple and he prays for this temple. And this is part of what he said. God, may you watch over this temple day and night, this place where you have said you would put your name. May you always hear the prayers I make toward this place. May you hear the humble and earnest requests from me and your people Israel when we pray towards this place. Yes, hear us from heaven where you live and where you hear, forgive. And then he goes on with this very detailed prayer saying, God, when we sin against you from this temple, hear us, forgive us, and restore us. When we're defeated in war from this temple, hear from heaven, forgive, and restore us. When we experience famine, when our, our crops shrivel up from this temple, hear us from heaven, forgive and restore us. When there's pestilence in the land, when there are creatures that are eating our crops from this temple, hear us, forgive us and restore us. 
When there are foreign visitors that come and we might get a little nervous from this temple, hear us, forgive us, and restore us. When we are sent to battle, hear us, forgive us, and restore us from this temple. And we are, when we are taken captive, hear us, forgive us, and restore us from this temple. You get the point? Everything emanates from, emanates from this temple, everything. The capital city of Jerusalem, this temple, everything that is the nation of Israel was identified by and executed through this temple. Who they were as a nation, their law and order, their, their ceremonies, their rituals, their religion, all from this temple. And that temple stood for 430 years. 430 years. The center of everything. And then Assyria came in and wiped out the 10 tribes of the north. And then the Babylonians came in and wiped out the two tribes in the south in, seven, in 587 BC, wiped out Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, utterly destroyed it. And they were taken into captivity and they were heartbroken because this was their identity. There are 12 tribes worshiping in this temple. 10 tribes completely wiped out by Assyria. Two tribes taken captive by Babylon. No city of Jerusalem, no temple, no identity, no nation, no priesthood, no temple, nothing. Then 70 years later, the temple was rebuilt. First, it was this rudimentary temple just cobbling some resources together from the nations and they put this very basic temple back together and they finally had their home again. And then hundreds of years later, uh, King Herod, who made a deal with the Roman Empire, gathered a bunch of money and said to the Roman Empire, if you allow me to refurbish the Jewish temple, they're really gonna love the Roman Empire. They're gonna cooperate with the Roman Empire. So Rome said, fine, refurbish this temple and the Herodian temple was built the second temple, and it was majestic, absolutely majestic. Once again, the people of Israel had their city. Once again, the people of Israel had their temple. They had their identity. They had their sense of, of, of who they were in God's eyes, a sense of their traditions and culture all in this temple. And then Jesus says this in Mark 14. Destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days, I will build another made without human hands. And the people freaked out. I mean, freaked out. This was blasphemy. And he's saying this at the base of the temple. So you can kind of imagine, and, and, and some scholars believe he might've been even touching the rocks of the temple itself. And he might've said, destroy this temple made with human hands, and I will make a new one in three days. And they completely freaked out. They said, Jesus, this temple is the center of our lives. It's the center of God's presence. How dare you blaspheme against God by saying this temple is going to be destroyed. And this took 46 years to build, and you say you're going to build another in three days? They were totally confused and outraged, outraged. But Jesus says, this has to come down. This has to come down. Now, why did the temple have to come down? A couple reasons. First, it served its purpose. The temple served its purpose. It was just a symbol. The tabernacle in the wilderness made of cloth, it was a symbol pointing forward to where God would actually be in direct relationship with people and not through mediators of temples and priests and things like that. So this tabernacle made of cloth was pointing forward. King Solomon's temple was pointing forward to one day we wouldn't need a temple. We wouldn't need priests and mediators. We would have a direct relationship with God. Herodian's temple, the second temple, was also a symbol just pointing forward to when the real deal would come. 
a real relationship with God. No need for laws, no need for temples, no need for priests, no need for rites and rituals and ceremony, just a close walk with God. It served its purpose because the tabernacle was pointing to Jesus, King Solomon's temple was pointing to Jesus, King Herod's temple was pointing to Jesus, and here was Jesus. I'm the one who is gonna bring you right to God the Father. And Jesus essentially says, I am the temple. I am the temple. So the temple of stone has served its purpose, it has to go. And secondly, the temple was never God's house anyway. Now this is gonna require maybe some, uh, some thinking and you might mull on this and chew over this for the next uh, rest of your life, but uh, here's something to consider. It has to do with how we read the Old Testament. So it's very interesting when we, we, we read the Old Testament, we read some things that are the experience of Israel, but then the New Testament, specifically the teaching of Jesus, kind of clarifies some things. So, so from the perspective of Israel in the Old Testament, they thought God actually lived in that tabernacle. They thought God actually lived in the temple. That's how they spoke. That's what they wrote down in the Old Testament, that God actually lives here. That was their true experience, but was it real? Was it real? Well, let's listen to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. In Acts chapter seven, declaratively, the most high doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Can't be more clear. God does, act, does not live in temples. Never has and never will. And basically the, the writer, the preacher, is saying, how dare we think that anything we build with our human hands is going to encase the very presence of God? I mean, how silly is that? No tabernacle made of cloth is gonna encase the presence of God. No temple built by Solomon or Herod is gonna encase the presence of God. How silly is that? And, and that's the teaching of the New Testament is that God never actually lived in this temple at all. They thought he did, but he never did. Could you build me a temple as good as the earth asked the Lord, could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both the heavens and the earth? God says, with a word I spoke the cosmos into existence and you think a building is gonna contain me? No way. The temple never ever housed the presence of God. And you read about all kinds of other things that were happening in the Old Testament like animal sacrifices, right? And the thought was that the sacrifice of animals could atone for the sins of man. Well, that never was true either. Hebrews 10.4, it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. In other words, all of these things that we read about in the Old Testament that the nation of Israel thought was making them right with God or thought was, was bringing the presence of God in their tabernacles and temples, it just never was true. It never was real. They were symbols pointing forward, but they didn't really do anything. Now, now listen, a symbol can be beautiful. A symbol can be important, but a symbol is not the real deal. Jesus steps on the scene and says, I am the real deal. I am the real deal, and I am gonna fulfill all of this stuff, right? He says, you have the law, you have the, the commandments. He says, you don't need that anymore. That was a symbol pointing forward to a day where we will all live by love, and love will be the only law, and so we don't need the commandments because we're loving each other. It was just a symbol. The Sabbath, this day of rest, that was, was really one of the, the, the great 
you know, commandments of the Bible and, and a lot of the, the, the driving force of the Hebrew culture was a day of rest, one day a week. That was just a symbol pointing forward to the rest that we'll have in the grace of God through Jesus Christ, not just one day, but every day and throughout eternity. It's just a symbol. The priesthood, just a symbol pointing to a future where we would enjoy a direct relationship with God. We don't need a mediator. We don't need priests and pastors and anything to get us to God. We're one with God in Jesus Christ by grace, so the priesthood is just a symbol. The sacrificial systems of the Old Testament, they're just symbols. Now, they sacrificed animals, and then they ate those animals, so just don't think it was a whole waste of stuff there. They were going through, through religious rituals that would nourish their bodies, but also give them the sense that they're made right with God. That was just a symbol, pointing forward where Jesus would express true humility and true love by going to the very end preaching that God is a father who loves us and is gracious to us and, and we don't need the law and we don't need the temples and we don't need the priesthood and that whole message got him killed. So Jesus sacrificed himself for our benefits. We don't need the sacrificial system. It was just a symbol and we don't need the temple. Jesus said we don't need the temple because the temple was just a symbol pointing forward to Jesus who says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And through me, you'll enjoy a direct relationship with God. No mediator, no priesthood, no temple. And so Jesus started tearing this whole thing down. And let's see how that happened. On the Sunday before Jesus' crucifixion, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey the week before his crucifixion, the week before his resurrection. We celebrated that Palm Sunday uh, several weeks ago. And he rides in on a donkey on that Sunday. He goes back to his encampment outside the city. On Monday, he comes back in and he enters the temple. This is the majestic Herodian temple. And he basically desecrates it. He tears it apart. He sees what's happening in the temple and these religious leaders are ripping people off. They're selling animals for upwards of seven times their market value because they're blessed. They pray over it and sell these blessed and clean animals for seven times market rate, ripping off poor people, ripping off visitors, ripping off guests into their country. And Jesus says, enough is enough. This whole thing is corrupt. It was meant to be a beautiful symbol pointing forward to a future day where we would enjoy a relationship with God. Now you're just making it into a corrupt moneymaker, right? And Jesus starts tearing the place apart. He's, he's turning over tables and throwing money. He gets a whip and he starts whipping people and animals. He is enraged at what's happening here. Matthew 21, 12, Jesus enters the temple and begins to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scripture declares my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. He's making a lot of enemies. Not only is he you know, desecrating the temple when he's really cleansing it, but he's, he's impeding their corruption and do not get in the way of religious people and their money. I mean, religion is still used for corruption today. Right? I mean, how many people do we have to read about who are making tons of money in religious circles just with false promises and selling things? And, and I mean, it's just crazy the way this continues to happen today, 2,000 years after Jesus cleansed the temple. Jesus says this temple will not be a barrier. You're making it a barrier. 
Jesus says, this is to be a house of prayer for all nations, bring them all in. And yet you're putting up walls and ripping people off so poor people can't even get in. Enough is enough. And right after he cleanses the temple in Mark chapter 14, Jesus doubles down. He's already in big trouble, but he doubles down. That's when he says, destroy this temple made with human hands. And in three days, I will build another made without human hands. What's he saying there? Everybody's confused. They're offended and confused. What does he mean? Well, he kind of meant what he said. First, that the temple was actually going to be destroyed. And that is something that the religious leaders and really the entire nation of Israel could not get their soul around. This was the center of everything. Center of their nation, center of their culture, center of their relationship with God. And so when Jesus put his hands on that temple and said, destroy this thing, he actually meant it would be destroyed. Just 40 years later, Rome would utterly destroy Jerusalem, not just the temple, but the entire city. In 70 AD, Titus would be um, commissioned by the emperor to come into Jerusalem and destroy the revolt. The Jewish revolt had been happening for four years and Rome had had enough. They sent their army in there and they tore it apart. Josephus, who was a historian at the time, says upwards of one million people were slaughtered in 70 AD. There's some question about that number, but regardless, it was an absolute bloodbath. The city was decimated. People scattered all over the Roman Empire. City destroyed brick by brick. The temple destroyed brick by brick. It's what the Bible calls the end times. In the Olivet Discourse in, in Matthew 24, when Jesus talks about the end times, that's what he was talking about. 70 AD, all that Israel knew would come to an end and still not rebuilt today, 2,000 years later. There is no temple today. You can go to the temple wall. You can put your hands on that west wall. Right around the place, Jesus probably put his hands on that temple and said, this will be destroyed. You can go to the same spot today, but it's not built. Likely never will be built again. Priesthood gone. Hasn't been reconstituted in 2,000 years. Everything they held dear, gone. And Jesus said it would. It would be destroyed. Jesus also said, I am the real temple anyway. The real temple is me. I am the presence of God on earth. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And not only that, I'm gonna bring you into a direct relationship with God without the need for commandments or temples or Sabbaths or any of the rites and rituals, any of the feasts and, and celebrations. You don't need the temple, you need nothing. I'm gonna bring you in direct relationship with God by grace alone. These rocks stand in the way. This pile of rocks called the temple stands in the way. In John 2, there's a similar account. Jesus said, destroy the temple in three days, I will raise it up. But when Jesus said this temple, he met his own body. After he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered he had said this and they believed both the scripture and what Jesus had said. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the law. Jesus is the Sabbath rest. He's everything. We don't need any symbol. Didn't need it then and don't need it now. And by the way, Jesus says all of this stuff is, ex is exclusionary. It's exclusionary. I mean, metaphorically and literally, there are walls and doors that say people keep out. I mean, that's the whole architecture of the temple, right? It's about walls and doors. 
And so if you see plans of the uh, Solomon Temple or the Herodian Temple, you'll see walls, just concentric walls, closing in on what was supposedly the holy presence of God. And so if you were a, a, a Gentile, you couldn't get in. You just couldn't get in. There was a court for you way outside, but only the Jews could get in one certain wall. And then there was another wall where only Jewish men could go in. So there was the court of the women. That's where women were allowed. And then there's a wall. Only Jewish men could go in here. And then there was another wall. Only Jewish men priests could go into another wall. Then there was another wall where only the Jewish man high priest could go in once a year. It's all about exclusion. Stay out, stay out, stay out. Jesus is a different kind of temple that says, come in, come in, come in. Everybody's welcome. No walls, no doors. Everybody is welcome. Luke 23, at the crucifixion of Christ, at the sixth hour, this would be three o'clock, the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two as Jesus cried, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. At the crucifixion of Christ, that final wall that separated the priest from the Holy of Holies was ripped. And scripture is clear, top to bottom, almost as though God was saying, I'm, I've had it. I've had it with these walls. I've had it with these barriers. I'm ripping this thing apart. The entire world is welcome. No more exclusion. In the tradition of the temples, Gentiles were excluded, women were excluded, disabled people were excluded. You couldn't come in if you were disabled. You couldn't come in if you were labeled a sinner, you were labeled unclean. And the temple's now ripped in half. The veil ripped in half. And 40 years later, the entire thing was destroyed. And God is essentially saying, everyone is welcome. No one is excluded. No one's excluded. We don't need any of these barriers that keep us from God. The barriers of the commandments that you're supposed to kind of keep, the barriers of the law, the barriers of the priest, the barriers of the rites and rituals and the barriers of the temple destroy it all. And Jesus says, I'm now here. I'm the presence of God, I'm the grace of God, I'm the goodness of God, and everyone is welcome. Right after the resurrection, Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 18. This is called the Great Commission. Listen to how welcoming Jesus now is. The resurrected Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, all nations, everybody's welcome. The temple was just for the Jews. Tears it down, everybody is welcome. And throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, men, women, abled, disabled, saints and sinners, everybody, let's go. Let's enjoy the grace of God. Let's be a family of faith. Let's welcome each other. Let's treat each other well. Let's treat each other as brothers and sisters. All nations. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And the word baptize just means to identify. Um, if you dip, say, a white cloth in purple dye, it's identified as purple. Uh, so when we baptize people here, we, we dip you. I mean, it's like a full, it's a full thing, right? Just to symbolize. It's just a symbol pointing to the cleansing in Christ and the identifying in Christ. We now belong to God together. We belong to God together. So I want to encourage you, to receive the full embrace of God. Receive the full embrace of God. If you have ever thought that you've made too many mistakes for God, you gotta leave that thought behind you and embrace the grace of God. He welcomes you 
with every mistake you've ever made, he welcomes you with open arms. If you've ever felt as though you're not good enough, you're just not good enough. You've got some habits that have you by the throat. You just, you made some commitments in your life to be a better person, do more good things, then it just doesn't happen and you feel the weight of that. Accept and embrace the grace of God right now. He loves you just as you are. He's proud of where you're at. He knows you're on a journey. Enjoy being embraced. If you've ever thought as though you're just not the religious type, you're just not the religious type. I just don't kind of connect with the whole religious thing. Um, I was either, either forced to church today or I thought it was a Vons and you're in here and you're like, what? If you're not the religious type, I get that. Jesus went to people. Religion wasn't their thing. And he brought the grace of God to them. Embrace and receive the love of God. If you've ever thought you've been rejected by people who were claiming to speak on behalf of God because you didn't fit the religious mold and because you didn't fit the religious mold, maybe you felt maybe rejected by your parents or rejected by your youth group growing up or rejected by the church. If you've ever felt that, embrace and accept the love of God today, today. It's just believing it. Just believe God loves you, accepts you, forgives you, embraces you without any reservation. He wants you to know he's proud of you and he's with you always. Embrace that today. That's not easy. You know what else isn't easy? Embracing the people around you in the same way. <laughs> so, whoa, I didn't know that was coming. That was different. I'll take the love of God, but I gotta love that person, right? I don't get their culture. I don't get their politics. I don't agree with their choices. I'm not sure I'm into that lifestyle. The grace of God received should also result in the grace of God given, right? And imagine that world. Imagine that world where just as we are, we accept the grace of God and just as they are, we accept them. Imagine that world. Jesus called that world heaven. Let's receive that today. And I want to invite you, if you have never been baptized, to just express the identity that you have in the grace of God and this, this new life raised from the dead, this new temple that Jesus says will rise in three days at noon. In about 20 minutes, I'll be out there and we will have some baptisms and it'll be a wonderful celebration of people receiving this grace of God through Jesus Christ. I'm gonna close in prayer and a final song. And this is a great song. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace through Jesus. Thank you that uh, he said these powerful words as he put his hands on the temple that this will be destroyed and a whole new temple will be raised in three days. And as all these external symbols are, have now passed away and the resurrected Christ has created a whole new relationship with you that is unbroken and unbreakable it's a declaration that you made to us that you love us, you embrace us, you forgive us, you accept us, and you declare us your perfect sons and daughters. We receive that today. And as we receive that grace, help us to give that grace away and accept others and love others the way you love and accept us. In Jesus' name, amen. Evan, you brought this song to us and said, we're doing this song this week. I didn't even know what you were talking about. I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. But it's a fantastic song. It's perfect, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, this really is talking about that. Like, as you were talking about the temple, I remember growing up and hearing 
about, you know, behind that veil and this, yeah. the Holy of Holies and all this place. And I remember thinking like, man, I just wish that I was like alive at that time. So maybe I could become a high priest one day, you know, so I could go <laughs> in the Holy close, of Holies. Yeah. And, and the whole thing is, is coming to that realization of like, that's now that his presence is, it was never in there. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's been around us this whole time. And this song is exactly that. All the walls that you think are up, it's like, no, 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 there's a table and it's just for us. And there is a place specifically for you that was an invitation. It wasn't just like, oh, you can come too if you want. You know, it wasn't that. It's there's a place specifically for you, your name on it at this table. So it's, it's as though God, you know, sought you and called you by name and said, I've got a place right here. It's reserved for you because I want you here. And I want you here with me as your father. And I want you here with the family of faith, the brothers and sisters around you, and just enjoy that reality. And, and no yeah. matter what the journey was to get to that table, yeah. and no matter what your background was, whatever it is, when you sit at this table, you can get there a million different ways. But when you get to this table, yeah. we are all equal now. We are all sons and daughters. We yeah. are all family, yeah. you know. And let's enjoy that together. Absolutely. All right. Just sit there and enjoy the song, and then Evan will ask you to stand at the right moment. At the right moment. Yeah. <laughs> Just a 
message and a uh, great way to end our time together. And uh, for those of you who had a little bit of an awakening today and just enjoying God's grace in your life, um, enjoy that now and forever and be at peace with that. Let that transform your life in powerful ways. If you need prayer for any reason, bearing any burdens, we have a prayer team over there. If I haven't met you yet, you're fairly new to the church. I'll be right over here. would love to meet you along with my wife. And um, we've got the Rancho Gear store out there and we've got Mother's Day next week. So bring your mamas and bring your family. We're gonna have a fantastic time. I look forward to seeing you there. God bless. See you next week.